Well, I'll tell you, we have read some depressing passages in Ecclesiastes, <laughs> and this one is about the worst. Um, we were reading this in staff meeting this week, preparing um, for Sunday, and also as we lead off our staff meetings, we, we simply start in the Word of God, and um, Mike Lumpkin says something like, wish I could just give this guy a hug. <laughs> and it might help, a hug, something, he needs something. Why is the preacher so depressed? I don't, maybe depressed isn't the right word. He's just real, I mean raw. Why is, he, why is his worldview like it is? As we've been talking about week in and week out as we, we come now to this last sermon in our series on Ecclesiastes, um, the preacher has limited his vision. He's limited his outlook. The only thing he can see is life under the sun. And when he sees that, he concludes that it is all vanity. It is all meaningless. That there's nothing, and we've explored it all, there's nothing under the sun that has any purpose, that has any meaning, that has any lasting value. And today we've come to the big why. Why does he say that? And we, we've mentioned it almost every week, but this is the thing for the preacher, for Ecclesiastes, that always is in the front of his mind when he considers anything, whether it's wealth, whether it's pleasure, whether it's work, whether it was family, anything he's looking at, searching for meaning, right there in front of him is this very simple fact that every single one of us in this room, on this earth, throughout history, is going to die. We're all going to die. Some might die young, some might die old, some might die wealthy, some might die poor, but, but, but it does not, none of that changes the fact that you are all going to die. And so we get, you know, chapter 9, verse 2, the preacher concludes thus. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and evil, to the clean and the unclean. To him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is he who shuns an oath. This is an evil that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. We're all going to die. And if that's the limit of our vision if that is the full scope of what we can see and what we can experience, we've got to include with the preacher that is all meaningless. All of it. Now that doesn't stop him from trying to speak some hope into our lives. And this is about as the best he can do for us. Verse 4. He who is joined with the living, so that's us, okay, we have some hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion what you get. You should be thankful you're alive. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. So for the preacher, hope the only hope we could possibly have lies in the fact that we're alive. You're alive. You can hear this sermon this morning. That is where your hope li lies. And so he says, 
you know, we've got to enjoy that then, and we have to take advantage of it because it's not going to last forever. Remember, you're all going to die. And so we get to verse 7. He says, therefore, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. Take pleasure in food and fellowship. Or verse 8, where does our hope lie? Let your garments be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy the fine goods of this world. Enjoy what you can get. Verse 9, enjoy life with the wife you love. Find joy in the spouse that God has given you. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Work hard in your vocation. When your scope is limited to what you can see under the sun, when it's limited by death on one end, on birth on the other, you've got to place your hope in the things around you, the things you have, the things that you can enjoy. What happens? What happens when you're fired from the job you love? After 25 years. What happens 10 years after you're married and the woman or the man that you married is not the same person? What if that person wants a divorce? What happens when our endless collection of consumer goods fails to satisfy us? What happens when you hardly have enough money to put a morsel of bread on your plate? Where is your hope? These things that the preacher talks about, they're dependent on a fallen world and they're dependent on fallen people and they will disappoint you. It's not they might disappoint you, they will disappoint you. You will be let down and some of you massively so. And then what do you hang on to when you lose them altogether? What do you have left? If that's the only source of hope, of meaning, and purpose, where do you turn when it's gone? Friends, that's life under the sun. But I'm thankful that our misguided preacher has limited his sight. He's limited it to things we can see. The life under the sun. But, but we have a vision. This book is, is so great and so glorious. And our God is so merciful that he's given us a bigger vision. Life above the sun, if you will. Life beyond what we can see in this world. Death under the sun, friends, does not have the last word. It's not the end. It's not the final say. It's not necessarily our ultimate destiny. In our gospel reading this morning, we, um, we jump right in. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Martha's quite convinced that his tomb will smell at this point, we read. And they called for Jesus, didn't they? They called for him to come earlier. They said, Jesus, please come. My brother's very sick. Please come and save him. In one of these curious passages of Scripture, Jesus, he doesn't leave right away. He waits. And then he arrives, and now he's late. He's four days late. Lazarus is dead, cold, and buried in the tomb. And Martha, gracious Martha, 
she's thankful to see Jesus. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother, my brother would not have died. And how does Jesus respond? What would he have said if he was our preacher from Ecclesiastes? What comfort could he give this woman? Would he say, well, listen, Martha, you should be thankful you're alive. Is that helpful? No. So you can say, Martha, listen up. Have you not read Ecclesiastes? A living dog is better than a dead lion. I mean, is that helpful? No. Martha, just enjoy your present circumstances because you're going to die too. No. That's nonsense. Jesus does three things. First thing he does is he points to himself. Martha says, you know, Lazarus would still be alive if you had been here. And Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Your hope is not found in Lazarus. Your hope is not found in your family, your friends. Your hope is not even found in this meager holding on to a life that you're going to lose anyway. Your hope is in me. I am the resurrection and the life. Second thing Jesus does, we didn't read this, we skipped over this part, but Jesus weeps. He weeps for his friend, his beloved friend, who's dead. He doesn't say something like, oh, finally, Lazarus is with God. He doesn't say like, oh, well, death is only a gateway into something greater and something better. No, he weeps. For his dead friend. Death is cruel. Death is a perversion. Death is not godly. And Jesus weeps over it. Then he has the tomb open. He says, Lazarus, come out. The dead is raised. Isn't that a much better vision than what we get in Ecclesiastes? That we have a hope in Jesus Christ, that we have a God that's not satisfied with death, who knows that's a perversion of his kingdom. It's not supposed to be this way. A God who does something about it. Who's offering us new life, eternal life. Death is a curse. Death is not eternal. Life, when you know Jesus Christ, life is eternal. And it's a gift from God. That is not, friends, that is not something you can find in this world. It's not something you can find under the sun. You've got to go above the sun to get it, but but praise the Lord Our God has sent Jesus Christ to bring what is above the sun to us here under. Jesus has walked among us, has entered in his creation, has died for us that we might know life. He took on the penalty of death so we could know eternal life. In Jesus, we have a hope that death is not the end, that that's not all there is. Yes, death is a burden. You will all face it. That's the consequence of our sin. 
But for those of us who know Jesus Christ, that is not the final say. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's been swallowed up in Jesus Christ. And so now, all of a sudden, our whole worldview has changed, and we're looking at something more and something greater. We have hope of a life beyond the sun that is a gift from God in Jesus Christ. And when we have hope down the road, when we have hope in the future, it changes who we are now, does it not? Some of you I know um, are probably training for the first annual Sweet Tea Half Marathon, right? Any of you in here? There's a few. Yeah, look at you guys. Okay, good for you. If you're not, you can imagine it. You just imagine with me what that might be like <laughs> and how much fun that is. But when you're a runner, whether it's this or another race or, or just for exercise, you, you have a goal, right? There's something that you're shooting for, that you're running for. There's something at the end of this training that's going to be rewarding. There's something giving you hope. So when the training gets really hard, when the miles are piling up, and when you've really just had enough, if you didn't have a hope at the end, would you keep doing it? I mean, let's be honest, a donut can provide more immediate satisfaction than a run. But you press on because what's ahead, what's to come? It is fun, but it's not always fun, and you don't persevere because it's fun. You persevere because you have a hope. And friends, you have a hope. We have Jesus Christ, who is the the promise of eternal life. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your hearts that is the down payment on our new life. And because of that, everything we do now has meaning. Everything has purpose because we're doing it for the Lord. We're doing it for the life to come. We're doing it so that those around us can see the love of Jesus Christ. What motivation, what purpose? The preacher can't see that. Ecclesiastes is completely void of that worldview. But we endure this because we celebrate Jesus Christ. We celebrate his victory. We celebrate the life that is to come. And that life that is to come somehow starts coming now. God is undoing the great penalty of sin. One day when Christ returns, death will be no more, neither weeping nor crying, but only life everlasting. I'm going to leave you on this note. Some of you are locked up in a life under the sun. You're locked up in a cold, smelly, lifeless tomb. There's no light. There's no hope. There's no future. Some of you perhaps are walking dead. Listen to me. There is one standing outside your tomb. There is one from above the sun. And he's speaking your name and he's looking you in the eye and he's grabbing your hand and he's saying, Come out. Be raised. And know that there's something more. That there's a hope beyond all hope. 
See, there's a God who loves you, who has died for you, and who wants to give you new life. Come out from your tomb and receive the life of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for your gracious love and for your mercy and for life. We thank you, Lord, that you have raised Lazarus from the dead, but more than that, you raised your son, Jesus Christ, from the dead, the only person who's died and come back to life never to die again. We thank you, Lord, for a hope and a resurrection that we, too, will join your Son, our Savior, in the world that is to come. And may that hope now impact our lives today, that we may proclaim your gospel, proclaim your hope, and show this world your love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.